This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Today is Thursday, November 11th. Coming up, we'll hear from Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas on how the city is preparing to house its homeless population during the winter. And long hours and low pay are leading to staffing shortages at Kansas prisons. Some employees are working two jobs just to get by. If I got pay raises regularly like a normal employee at a normal business, no, I wouldn't need this. Wouldn't need this at all. We'll hear how prisons are operating during severe worker shortages. But first, some headlines. Testimony in the Kevin Strickland trial yesterday centered on an expert witness. KCUR's Luke Martin reports on the innocence hearing of Strickland, who spent 43 years in prison for a triple murder that prosecutors now say he didn't commit. Nancy Franklin, a psychologist specializing in memory and eyewitness, said when it comes to reliability, Cynthia Douglas's most immediate recollections are likely the most accurate. Douglas survived the attack by playing dead. Strickland's team argues that Douglas told police numerous times the night of the murder that she only recognized two of four shooters and she didn't recognize her name Kevin Strickland. Cross-examination by Missouri's Attorney General's office attacked Franklin's credibility as an expert and said Douglas's inebriation the night of the attack could have clouded her judgment. The AG's office has also called two witnesses. Both spoke to an inability to locate any attempt by Douglas to contact the elected officials who might have helped her recant testimony against Strickland. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Luke Martin. The Kansas City police detective charged with involuntary manslaughter for fatally shooting Cameron Lamb took the witness stand in his own defense yesterday. KCUR's Dan Margulies reports. Eric DeValconeer testified that he shot Lamb through the passenger side of the windshield of Lamb's truck after he saw Lamb raise his left hand with a gun in it. Asked by his attorney just before that how many times he had shot someone in his 20-year police career, DeValconeer choked up and said twice. He took the witness stand on the third day of testimony in the trial, which is being presented before a judge. Prosecutors say DeValconeer acted carelessly and recklessly in going on to Lamb's property without probable cause or a warrant while investigating a high-speed car chase involving Lamb's truck. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Dan Margulies. The Goddard School District near Wichita has reversed its decision to remove nearly 30 books from circulation in school libraries. The district had earlier this week pulled a list of books from shelves after a parent complained about offensive content. The books included The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison, The Handmaid's Tale, and the Pulitzer Prize-winning play Fences. An email sent to families says principals and librarians met yesterday afternoon and decided to allow checkouts of all library materials while the district reviews its vetting process for books. The district had come under fire from authors and free speech advocates for removing books from circulation. Jonathan Friedman is with the free expression group PEN America. He says book challenges nationwide are up about 60% over last year. What's happening is basically right now you could, seems like you could go into any school board or school district around the country, um, say you uh, object to a book and then the, the district would just quickly remove it from anybody reading it. Goddard officials told parents they can receive notifications when their children check out a book and should contact their principal or librarian with concerns. KCUR is doing more reporting on this topic, and we're looking to talk to school librarians or teachers in the Kansas City area, Kansas, or Missouri. If you or someone you know has had classroom or library books challenged because of their content about race, sex, or LGBTQ issues, I want to hear from you. You can email me at nomin at kcur.org. That's N-O-M-I-N at kcur.org. Staffing at Kansas prisons has been a problem for years, and the pandemic has made the problem worse. 
Blaze Mesa of the Kansas News Service reports that workers have long hours and inmates have been locked down to keep facilities operating. David Georges has already put in a 48-hour work week at the Hutchinson Correctional Facility. It's currently Friday, around 8 p.m., and Georges is still working. But he isn't at the prison. He's working security at an arcade and bowling alley in Hutchinson. Georges has worked at the alley for almost two decades to keep his family debt-free. He said he lives a frugal life, and he is close to paying off the farm. But he has to moonlight because his pay from the Kansas Department of Corrections just isn't enough. Well, they didn't tell you when you hired on that, oh, we don't get step increases anymore. You don't get rewards. The department has struggled for years to hire and keep staff for low pay in dangerous jobs. But union representatives and department officials say the current staffing crisis is as bad as they've ever seen. The state prison system has around 400 uniformed vacancies. It expects another 75 by the end of the year. The Kansas Juvenile Complex is missing 31% of its uniform staff, and the entire Emporia office quit for jobs elsewhere. Georges primarily works as a corrections counselor, helping inmates re-enter into the community after their release. He also works shifts as a corrections officer because the prison has so few people. You hunker down and make it happen. Failure is not an option. Mandatory overtime is another way the department keeps the prison staffed. Gage Sears, a former corrections officer at the Hutchinson facility, worked so much overtime he stopped making plans after his shifts. Be completely drained by the end of it, and it didn't matter if you were exhausted or tired. They'd call and say, "Hey, you have to stay for four more hours." And even if you tried to plead your case, um, most of the time that didn't matter. Sears worked at the prison system in 2019 during a similar labor shortage. Staffing was so bad, he would watch over an entire cell block all by himself. An officer at the Lansing Correctional Facility was hospitalized after an altercation with an inmate in early November. The department isn't saying how severe the injuries are, but union officials say this happened because staffing was so slim. The department deferred its comment to testimony Correction Secretary Jeff Samuda gave before a statehouse committee. We're not alone in those challenges. Job markets for all employers are as competitive as any of us have seen in recent memory. Staffing shortages at the El Dorado facility are so severe, the prison is on a modified lockdown schedule. That means inmates get only one hour outside of their cell each day. Well, you definitely get a few days where you're like, I'm bored, I don't want to do none of this. <laughs> That's Sherrick Sims, an El Dorado inmate. The floor of his cell is about the same size as a king-sized mattress. Inmates say the limited time restricts their ability to work out, call family, or even shower. Sims says the new schedule cuts him off from his children. Under a different schedule, like I used to call, you know, and just check on them and talk to them, even if it's just for a few minutes to let them know, like, hey, you know, daddy's thinking of you, how your schooling grades going, you know. State lawmakers are considering using COVID-19 relief money to fund bonuses, and they talk about exploring long-term solutions when the legislature meets again in the spring. Higher wages are often proposed to fix staffing issues, but the solutions need to be more comprehensive. Andy Potter is the founder of One Voice United, a group that advocates for corrections officers. This is a nationwide crisis, by the way. This isn't to Kansas or to Michigan or to New York. This is really a crisis across the United States. And part of what's led to that is that the work has been devalued. Potter says higher pay helps, but improved benefits and better working conditions are also needed. Georges would love a pay hike. But until that happens, he'll be at the bowling alley on the weekends. I would much rather be home with my family.
much rather. I love my wife and my kid immensely. I'd much rather spend time with them than be here. For the Kansas News Service, I'm Blaze Mesa in Hutchinson. The Kansas News Service is a collaboration of KCUR, KMUW, Kansas Public Radio, and High Plains Public Radio. It reports on health, the many factors that influence it, and their connection to public policy. Coming up, we'll chat with Kansas City Mayor Quinton Lucas about how the city is trying to help unhoused residents. At UMB Private Wealth Management, a part of UMB Bank, your story is our focus. UMB works closely with you to tailor a plan that meets your goals through every stage of life and changing economic climates. UMB's customized financial planning services and resources help you accumulate, preserve, and protect wealth, giving you peace of mind about your future. UMB, everything we do starts with you, from our high-touch service to our robust suite of wealth management products. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. The issue of homelessness has been a hot button topic in Kansas City as the region experiences rising rents and home prices, and the city tries to find ways to expand affordable housing stock. Mayor Quentin Lucas joined KCUR's Steve Kraske on Up to Date to talk about how the city plans to house its homeless citizens this winter. Let's turn to the homeless uh, population, the houseless population, Mayor, as they're known now. Last week, Kansas City's leaders uh, gathered with advocates to work out this plan to keep our city's houseless population safe during the upcoming uh, cold winter months here. There are several new initiatives here, including what I noticed, uh, a new online dashboard that's going to give some real-time data when it comes to bed availability on any given night. Tell us about that dashboard and what a difference you hope that makes? I think the first thing we need to do is continue to share our information, good or bad, about where we are and how many folks are on the streets each and every day. I think what's important for us is if we share that information, it helps us channel better where our investment needs to be. Do we need to, and it's probably going to be all of the above, but do we need to invest more in temporary shelters for single men? Do we need to invest more in shelters for families? Do we need to make sure that we're working regionally? And I will say this, and it frustrated me a year ago, but you keep moving. Last year when we had the Bartle Hall Warming Center, police agencies from throughout the metro were dropping off unhoused persons to Bartle Hall. Now, of course, when some got called, they said nothing of the sort had happened. That was a flat-out lie. But but you know what? That's okay because we do have a heart in Kansas City. What I want to be able to share, particularly because we will have regional data on this dashboard, is how we need to make sure we're working together to see that if there is somebody who's from South Johnson County, that we are finding them places that are close to their families where they can get the support and services that they need. That's what a big part of our change focus is all about. Do you see Johnson County cities pitching in, being more willing to shoulder some of this burden this winter, Mayor? Hope springs eternal. Um, I have not seen that happen necessarily in the past. That's no disrespect to them. It's just, I think, a kind of a fact of how things go. Um, In too many situations, everyone tries to say, we don't have a problem like some other place. Heck, sometimes we in Kansas City, Missouri do that and say, well, we have our issues, but we're not St. Louis. That is the exact wrong way to see things. We're all partners in trying to build a better region for everyone. And what I would ask for my peers in Johnson County, 
particularly because they have resources in many of their jurisdictions, and certainly the county does, thanks to CARES Act funds, American Rescue Plan, and others, is to actually support overnight shelter opportunities for people in Johnson County. There are not enough now for a county of over 600,000 people, and a lot of that means that we get more folks in Kansas City, Missouri, and we're happy to, to take on what I believe is our moral obligation, but I would hope that more people see that calling, and, and I would ask for Johnson County and every other county around us to be a part of that. Just real quickly, you're also proceeding with a conversion of two vacant hotels into single-room occupancy apartments. The purchase of these hotels, has that already, already been completed, Mayor? It has not been completed. It's going through the ordinance process. I wish it could be a lot faster. I mean, a problem with last year was I think we were too flat-footed, and folks were out in the streets. There were increased numbers of homeless folks in our streets, and we had to react. I hope that we can be more proactive, and I hope to see those ordinances get through city council expeditiously. I was going to say, how supportive of these changes that you're outlining with us today are the people who are in the houseless predicament right now? Are you winning some support there, or is that still a, a tense relationship? It's it's always going to be tense for a number of different reasons. Some are that um, there are folks that have different political solutions and ideas. There are some that want us to be far more active in government-provided housing projects. Um, I'm not as in support of that. I think the housing projects of the 60s and 70s have been a failure of government largely. Um, and I think that what we are trying to do is be as balanced as possible. We are working with our shelters more closely this year. Last year, when we set up the Bartle Hall Warming Center, we, we were able to help a lot of people, but we also saw that we're not experts. So we'll keep pushing that. But, you know, the thing that is most interesting to me, I visited with a guy a few blocks from City Hall, and I, he had been uh, camping on the City Hall lawn before. Right. And I said, well, did you, did you take advantage of this opportunity? And he said, no, no, I didn't. And I asked, well, why? We found a place for you to live and all of that. And he said, ah, it just wasn't right for me. I couldn't leave the people out here behind. Um, you know, there are a lot of different people who are homeless for a lot of different reasons. Right. I know that having been homeless myself. And I think what we need to do is continue to try to create opportunities for people at very different levels of where they are to have somewhere to be. And we're going to keep working on that, just like we keep working on violent crime and all these issues. I mean, I will say this, um, as a mayor, I've had to face a lot of challenging issues that I think have been generational concerns for Kansas City. But I welcome that because I grew up I grew up poor. I grew up knowing homelessness. I grew up knowing violence around me. Kansas City is not going to reach its potential until we address all of those more fully. And it's why we'll continue to do that at City Hall each and every day. You know, Mayor, it is kind of a marvel to me that the the boy who was once homeless so many years ago is now a man setting policy for that same issue in our community. I, you, it's, it's been a long road, Mayor. You know, it has. It has. And um, it, it's what keeps me from giving up sometimes. Uh, don't get me wrong. I have my days where I say, you know, Quinn, you could just do the ribbon cuttings and all of that. And everybody, maybe it'll be more popular, actually. You talk about COVID and crime and homelessness and a lot. But I think those are the realities of what we're dealing with. And I think Kansas Cityans want us to really address them because we can't we can't turn a blind eye to the plight of our brothers and sisters. That was Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas talking to KCUR's Steve Kraske. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast was produced by Byron Love and Rachel Bain and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. 
You can read Blaze's story on staffing in Kansas prisons on our website, kcur.org, where you can also hear our live stream. If you're enjoying our show, write us a review on your favorite podcast app or leave us a voicemail at 816-235-8930. Tomorrow, we'll get a review of two major court cases that happened in Jackson County this week. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.